All right, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11 this morning. I want to talk with you guys about baptism. Okay, when you look through these verses, you're going to see there are some things about baptism. And I want to make some things clear to you. This isn't specifically about water baptism, but what I feel like the Lord is he wants me to point out some things to you um, to show you the significance of it. Okay, so let's kind of start at the beginning. Make sure that we're all on the same page. Um, this hopefully for all of us is a, is a clear cut, easy answer. Um, I guess I shouldn't presume, but here we go. Does water baptism save you? No. No. So it doesn't save you. It's not required for salvation. Just from the get-go, we can be reminded the classic illustration is the thief on the cross. Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise, right? If water baptism was required for salvation, Jesus would have said, oh, man. Man, Murphy's Law. If I'd met you yesterday, you'd have been good. Sorry, stinks to be you. Didn't say that. Baptism is not required to save you. Next question. Maybe you don't answer this one too quick unless you're really sure. Does water baptism make you a better Christian? No. But I would say this. It makes you an obedient Christian. Part of Jesus' great commission. Matter of fact, turn there. Matthew 28. Matthew 28 it's part of the, the Great Commission. Jesus says to his disciples, Go into all the world and make disciples of them, baptizing them. Matthew 28, verse 18. Look at it. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So it's, it's part of the Great Commission. If Jesus tells his disciples, and hopefully there are many in this room, if he tells his disciples to go everywhere, everyone you, that you meet, make disciples and baptize them, implicit in that is that these new converts would want to be baptized, right? Otherwise, Jesus is commanding us to go and dunk people against their will. Right? Hey, come over here by this pool. I want to talk with you. No, you can trust me. <laughs> Implicit in the, the, the great commandment, the commissioning, is Jesus expects us as his disciples to be baptized. Okay, so does water baptism save you? No. Does water baptism make you a better Christian? No. But it does make you an obedient one. And here's where I kind of hopefully, I'm asking the Lord to do this. If, if this is from him, I think you can make a really good case that though being baptized does not make you a better Christian, it makes you a better equipped Christian. This is what I'd like to address this morning. We have recently had, praise the Lord, people coming into the kingdom. Right from death to life, from darkness to light. These folks have put their faith and their trust in Jesus. They have confessed him as their Lord, their boss, right? They have finally, perhaps, understood, look, I'm never going to be good enough. 
There's no way I'm going to get into God's heaven without ruining it. So, Lord Jesus, I do receive your free gift. It's his righteousness, not a condition you can achieve, but a commodity you must receive, right? So we have now, over the last few weeks, people who are, for the first time in their lives, justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. Just to make sure you guys are on the same page, let's say that again. Just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. That's how you can remember it. Okay? This is an awesome thing. Here's the question as we come to Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What next? Awesome. I'm justified. What next? Look at verse 1. That's Paul's question. What next? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Again, we covered this. We talked about it on Thursday. But I I want to just kind of get right to the point this morning. And this may be a little different message than what most of you are used to. A lot of times we'll go word by word. We'll explain every word. Since we did that on Thursday, this is a little uh, more jumping around. But hopefully still to the point the Lord is trying to do. Paul's question is this. Is our Christian life, now that we're saved, is it supposed to look like this, uh, I sin and Jesus forgives me. I sin and Jesus forgives me. I sin in the exact same way I have for 15 years and Jesus forgives me. Is that the abundant Christian life? Is it supposed to end with just being justified? Or included in the deal, should there be us being day by day sanctified? You guys understand the difference, right? Justified happens one time, all at once. The, the day you gave your life to Him, He made you just as if you'd never sinned. But, is that where it's supposed to stop? Or are we supposed to be sanctified, which is to be more and more uh, put into His image? Let me put it a different way. Is the sum total, is God's end game for the Christian life, is it just Him overruling the penalty of sin? For us? Or is there included in the deal Jesus overcoming the power of sin? Justification is just Him overruling the penalty of sin. He did that. But is there also included in the deal Him overcoming the power of sin in us? Is our life supposed to be us sinning, Jesus forgiving, us sinning the exact same way, Jesus forgiving? The same sin, Jesus forgiving, no progress. Is it supposed to just be a treadmill forgiveness kind of life? Is that what the abundant life that Jesus promised? If so, I'm kind of bummed. (laughs) Y'all, there's good news. Look at verse 2. Two words. Certainly not. Absolutely not. That you could say in the Greek, never let it be said. Uh, no way, Jose. The abundant Christian life, the normal Christian life, is not one of just treadmill forgiveness. But listen, and this is important, don't miss this. It's a life of constant forgiveness amidst progress. Constant forgiveness amidst some kind of progress. Not just Jesus overruling the penalty of sin in our lives because we said a prayer to him one day, but Jesus overcoming the power of sin in our lives 
daily, every day. We have learned a lot again about justification, just as if I had never sinned. What Paul is talking about now as we move into Romans chapter 6 begins sanctification. Matter of fact, let's just stop and make sure everybody understands these, these words. Justification, we pretty much nailed that one, right? right? Okay, sanctification is this process. Okay, justification happens one time. Sanctification happens over our lives. And then the last word is glorification. That's the day when we see Jesus face to face and now we are perfect. Practically and judicially. We are perfect, which is going to be awesome. Okay, there's justification, glorification, and in between, sanctification. The process of Him conforming us more and more into him, His image. More and more, making us more and more like Him. Okay, I mean, let me put it this way. Justification is an event. You were saved, right? Once for all. If you were saved, let's say you were one of the folks that raised your hand, said the prayer, you meant it, you, you gave your life to Him last week. Then July 4th, was your spiritual justification day. Okay? But it was also, according to these scriptures, not just your justification day, it was the first day of your sanctification life. For you, if you were saved last week, it wasn't your independence day, it was your the beginning of your dependence upon Him. I know that many of you have heard this before, but it's just so true. I think we have to say it. He loves you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you that way. If you were saved last week or the week before, you need to know he loves you just the way you are. He proved it. He died for you. He gave his life for you. He loves you just the way you are. But he also loves you way too much to leave you that way. Now, if you were saved 30 years ago, guess what? He loves you just the way you are. But he loves you way too much to leave you that way. See, we're, we're, I, let me ask you, or let, let's have you ask yourself this question. Maybe you're in this spot where you would say truthfully, okay, I get it, I'm justified. I am just as if I'd never sinned. Here's the question. Have you given up on God sanctifying you? Would, would you say, look, there's an area in my life when I've been on the treadmill so long, I've kind of given up hope about moving toward victory. I'm just going through the motions. If I'm speaking to you, I need to tell you, perhaps you've given up on that concept. God has not. If He still is allowing breath in your lungs, He has not given up. I hope that what comes forward this morning is this. You don't have to live a life of moral defeat. You don't have to endure decades of failure. Listen, just waiting for your physical death to free you. Here's the thing. You can enjoy this freedom right now because death has freed you. Amen. See, if we correctly understand the scriptures we're looking at this morning, 
It's this death has already freed you, Christian. We saw Thursday the key to living a life of victory, this sanctifying, abundant kind of life. Let me put it this way. Really living happens when you die. Okay? The key of this abundant life has to do with death and burial and resurrection. Matter of fact, just to show you, it starts with death. You guys read the word died or death or dead, okay? This will be fun. Here we go. The end of verse 2, he says, How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into that just as Christ was raised from the by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Okay, if you're looking for a time to pay more attention than another, this is it. I would bet money that some people in this room have so given up on the abundant life of victory that you're just clocking in. You're clocking out. You're on the treadmill. And what you're waiting for is death to come and free you. When I die, finally, I'll be happy because I won't be such a jerk. I won't be this. I won't be that. I would bet there are people who, in the area, for instance, of drinking, pornography, lustful thoughts, gossip, fear, worry, maybe being the mom or dad you hope to be, some area you've just given up. You're like, well, when I'm dead, I'll be good. Listen, Paul would say, You're right about one thing. Death is your only hope. But you don't have to wait. I'm not suggesting suicide. According to Paul, listen, according to Paul, if you gave your life to Jesus, you are already dead. And the trick is to know it. To believe it. Again, we we talked about this on Thursday. Paul says, know this. Your victory lies in death and burial and resurrection. If you want victory over the thing that I've mentioned or haven't even mentioned, but God has pinned you down on right now, if you want victory, it has to do with you understanding and knowing death, burial, and resurrection. And you're placing it. Look at verse 3. You guys just read, as a matter of fact, you guys read the word know, okay? Or do you not that as many as us were baptized in Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his, his death. Verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Verse 8, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. Y'all, if you are on this treadmill, failure, forgiveness, failure, forgiveness, failure in the exact same thing that I was 10 years ago, forgiveness, failure, forgiveness, Paul would say to you, no, no, no. But it's not N-O, it's K-N-O-W. 
Paul says your only hope off of this treadmill is to know the truth and the truth will set you free. That was pretty smart. Jesus said that. You will know the truth. The truth will set you free. And here's the truth according to the scripture. Verse 2 through 6 basically says, look, you're already dead. You are dead in Christ. If you are a Christian, you are already dead. Verse 7 says, look, when you died, you were freed from sin. That means you, if you actually gave your life to him, you died that day and you have been freed from sin. Verses 9 through 10 say, look, also like Jesus, you you just died once. Now you are free to serve a new master, God. Not the old master, sin, but God. Okay? The, the key to freedom from the power and dominion of sin is found in death and knowing that you're dead. You are already dead to sin. And this is key, and we talked about it on Thursday, but again, I feel like the Lord is saying, you need to share this with more people and let me convince them. Look at verse 11. There's a, a really important word there, reckoning. If you've been with us in the book of Romans, you, that, that word in the Greek would look familiar. It's logitsomai. It means to account, to put into a certain column. Okay? It's an accounting word. Uh, we, if you're a Christian, you were accounted with Jesus' righteousness. He put his righteousness in your column. Right? Well, here, this is, the, this is our response. We reckon ourselves dead. We put ourselves into the column that says dead. Sin. See, reckon, it means to credit, to settle this, to bank upon something. Paul is saying, look, the death that you await that will set you free from pornography or drunkenness or your foul mouth, your rotten temper, that death, if you are a Christian, has already happened. And you need to reckon it. You need to put it in the right column. Let me ask you again, and as we go into verse 2, are we as Christians assigned to a life of enduring failure? Verse 2 says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know? Maybe you don't know. That as many of us as were baptized, that means immersed into Christ Jesus, were baptized, that means immersed into his death. This is really important. Okay, I know I said before to concentrate. I'm just going to keep asking you. Concentrate, concentrate. Here we go. These verses are not really technically talking about water baptism. These verses, understand, are talking about the day you were saved. Talking about your salvation. If you got saved last week, what verse 3 and 4 says is that that was the day you were immersed in Jesus Christ. Interesting, if you go on the Blue Letter Bible and you look up the word baptizo, baptism, it'll actually tell you, by way of illustration, it will tell you about how they uh, pickle cucumbers. For real. It talks about, in the process, because what they do is they, they, they... they investigated it and found an old document that talked about way back then when they used this word, baptizo, they found uh, two similar words in one document. Here's what they were basically saying. is there's, a, there's one word that where you take the cucumber and you dip it in water, just I guess to clean it or prepare it. It's just a temporary thing. You just do it like that. But then there's this other word that means when you put the cucumber in the pickle jar and it stays there, that's 
baptizo, baptism. Okay, sounds weird, but when you were saved, you're kind of like a pickle, okay? A cucumber in a pickle jar. Here's what I'm getting at. The difference between the one-time justification and the the thing of, of sanctification, right? If you were to look at that pickle jar, there you are right in the middle, okay? There's other pickles that are a lot more pickly because you just got there. But you're still in the jar, right? You are, that, that's, it's settled, you're in the jar. So officially you're a pickle, okay? But listen, over time, as you are immersed in that pickle jar, you take on the characteristics of a pickle. You come from, from, in practice, in reality, from a cucumber to an actual pickle. So too, I hope you're getting it, when you surrendered your life to Jesus, that day you became immersed into His Son. You are no longer the old Jew. You are justified, just as if you'd never sinned. And you find yourself in a new pickle. But you, got, you understand that the illustration, we are to be taking on more and more of the characteristics of Jesus as we are immersed in him. Okay? That's truly the best I can do to under, explain to you what this word baptism in this context means. Now, so you're thinking, okay, why are you talking about water baptism then? Where does water baptism come into this picture? Well, picture's a good word. Here's the point. What is baptism? Water baptism. It's a picture of what God has already done in us. Right? It's how we identify with Jesus. It's how we remind ourselves and anyone who's watching, I'm immersed in Christ. I died when He died. I died in Christ. So, if you notice the title, it maybe looks scary at first, but this is why the title of the message is Baptism. A day of reckoning. A day of saying, okay, I get it. This is settled. This is done. And that means that my... When when the old master's sin comes to me and says, look, you're going to jump when I say you're going to jump, I can say to him, no, wait a second, I'm dead to you. You're dead to me. Okay? Baptism then could become, and I hope it is for you, a day of reckoning. Helping us to understand, to solidify the truth, you are already dead in Christ. After death, of course, then comes what? Burial. Look at verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Again, make sure you understand, Paul is not saying that we were buried through Water baptism. In other words, he's not saying that something supernatural spiritually happened in your water baptism. But here's the deal. Water baptism is a picture, not only of the death that we died in Jesus, but also the burial of the old Doug. Okay, if your name is different, that would be weird. The burial of the old person, of the old you. Look at verse 6. Knowing this. That our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. Literally, it means rendered inoperative, uh, no, no longer powerful. Okay, that the, the, the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. 
Paul says, look, when, when you died in Christ, the old you in the spiritual realm was put to death. And sin, your previous master, he says, has no real power over you now. Your previous master can threaten you. He can tempt you. He can talk trash to you. He can speak to you as though you were still under his power. Oh, yeah? Preacher says you're dead? Watch this. He can talk smack to you. He can be threatening and, and speak as though he's positive that you will do what he says. But the scriptures say you don't have to. See, in reality, you are dead. And that death emancipated you from your old master, sin. Now again, where does water baptism come in? Again, it's just a picture. A picture of burial. And for me, that concept helps me with reckoning. I go underwater. I'm buried. And the picture is drawn, right? The old you is dead and buried. It's done away with. It's rendered inoperative. It's drowned. A lot of times during the baptism process, I'll, I'll be out there in the pool and I'll say, hey, is there a particular sin you want to just leave at the bottom of the pool? The old man is done away with, rendered inoperative, drowned. The, the need to sin, listen, the need to sin that for you used to have every bit as strong of a pull as the urge to breathe, which is pretty significant, that need to sin lies lifeless, dead, at the bottom of the pool. Now, does that mean you won't struggle? No, no. But the need to, the overwhelming, I've got to do it, lies dead at the, at the bottom of the pool. Now, here's the thing, and I need to make sure you understand. God does, it's not like God does this supernaturally at our water baptism. No, according to the scriptures, he supernaturally did it already when you were saved, the day you were saved. But water baptism helps us reckon it so. You see what I'm saying? I think water baptism should be looked at as a day of reckoning. I've died in Christ. I am dead to sin. The old habits, the old hang-ups, they can call my name, but they don't rule me. So we've seen that water baptism is a picture of death and burial. Is that the end of the story? I hope not. The last thing, right, the last part of the picture is resurrection. Not just the penalty of death. God, uh, Jesus hasn't just paid for the penalty of death, but that he proves he has power over sin and death. It's called resurrection. Matter of fact, I want you to notice that theme as we go through these scriptures. Um, when I pause, I'll let you guys finish the verses, okay? Look at verse 4. Therefore, we were buried. And what I'm trying to do is show you the, the power of resurrection in these texts, okay? Verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so... Okay, the end of the story is newness of life. It's not death, Okay? It's not just the penalty of death that Jesus covered, but it's the power of resurrection. Look at verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of death, certainly we... Right? The end of, the, of that sentence, that phrase is, it's not just about the penalty, him paying the penalty of sin and death, but him having the power in us of resurrection. 
Look at verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. It doesn't just end at the penalty of death, Him paying that penalty, but ends with Him showing that He has the power of resurrection. I think it's Galatians 2.20. Somebody shared it with me. And I was like, oh, I wish I'd share that. Here's where I'm going to insert it. This is not me, but the power of Christ in me. That's how we overcome these sins. Look at verse 9. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now that makes us feel better who we're doing the evangelism thing because you guys are just as ragged as we were. Here we go. It's not just the penalty of death, but the power of resurrection. Look at verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but... There you go. Then you got serious. Good job. Once again, it's not just the, him paying the penalty of death, but him having the power of resurrection. You know, the, the point is this. You don't have to keep falling in the same holes. You don't have to keep falling in the same traps. You don't have to keep falling in the same graves that the devil digs for you. You died once. You are alive to God. Let me stop here and say, you guys notice how, how far this is from what you might normally expect at a church that maybe doesn't quite understand the gospel? Here's what I mean. What we would almost expect Paul to say is, look, you're alive to God now. Don't be a wuss. Get it together. Do your thing. Work hard. That's not what this is saying. Saying no, no, no. Settle. Reckon. Make sense? That is the power of Christ in us. It's not that we do anything. It's that we believe Him and act accordingly. The hardest part is reckoning. Believing it to be so. Even when our flesh tells us every, everything against it. Our flesh says, no, no, you'll jump when I say you'll jump. You'll do what I'll do, what I'll tell you to do. The hardest part, the, the part that's called, hello, faith, is saying, wait, God says this, but my flesh says this. God says this, but the devil says this. Hmm, how will I behave? Will I behave in accordance with his truth and let it set me free? Or will I behave in accordance with the lies that my, my flesh or the devil's telling me. I want to close with this concept. Think about this. Just as Jesus' story did not end in the grave, waiting for victory at the end of time, neither should ours. If you take your life example, let's say you're on the treadmill, and you've kind of just like, okay, I get it. This is how it's going to be. I'm going to have this same sin over and over again. and God's going to forgive me because He does. He's gracious. He's good. And all that's true. But I'm just going to sin and He's going to forgive. I'm going to sin and He's going to forgive. What, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're being settled in the grave. I'm clean and I'm just waiting now for glorification. Just waiting for death to come and rescue me. Can you imagine if we superimpose that thought on Jesus' story? Imagine, Jesus dies for your sins. And the story ends there. You go to Jerusalem and you find the tomb and there's, oh, there's still the stone, still right there. Oh, look, there's a little sign. 
on the, on the tomb. Do not disturb. It's signed by Jesus. It says, do not disturb. I, look, I paid for your sin. I justified you. It's good enough for me. I'm just going to hibernate for 2,000 years. I'll see you when the trumpet sounds, okay? Wait. Is the, resur- is, is the whole story end there with he just pays the price? Or is there power on the other side? I wonder if that's where baptism, water baptism, could help some of us. Some of us have accepted Jesus' forgiveness and we're, we're starting to get it. We understand this concept of being just if I, just as if I'd never sinned. But let me tell you, and some of you know from experience, justification without being in process of sanctification is misery. It is just misery. How would that affect the songs that we sing? You came from heaven to earth. Go ahead. You showed the way from the earth to the cross. My death to pay from the cross to the grave. Nope, nope, nope. From the cross to the grave. Thank you. Good night. If baptism is a picture of what God has done, and that we superimpose our the way we live our lives, huh? you know, this is the way it's going to be till God comes and changes me. You realize how we have to change baptism? <laughs> the baptism would go this way. I would hold you under the water <laughs> until the thrashing stopped. <laughs> then I'd be like, all right, well, we'll see this brother in heaven. Take care. Right? Am I missing anything? <laughs> Listen, we love the two concepts in the sandwich. We love justification. Because God does it all. Right? He does it all. He pays for us and He makes me just as if I had never sinned. And we love the end story, glorification, where He does it all in a twinkling of an eye. That's coming soon. Okay? But it's the sanctification, which, by the way, he also does it all. But you know what sanctification requires? Faith. Faith not just for 40 years from now, but today. Sanctification requires that I believe the God who speaks things into existence as though they were not. Sanctification requires for me to say, okay, God, you say I'm dead to sin. I reckon it so. I believe you. I'm going to behave now. When the, when the devil calls and says, hey, you're going to do my bidding, I say, no, wait. You're dead to me. I'm dead to you. I'm alive to God. What if then baptism, water baptism, were a day of reckoning? Of saying, God, I am dead to sin. Though the world tells me different, though my emotions tell me different, I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to you. I don't have slave as my old master. He's dead to me. God, I serve you. Might be some today that this maybe has made sense for the first time. Maybe you want to consider being baptized. You're like, well, wait, wait. 
15 years ago I was baptized and I sort of got it. That's, it's up to you. But you might consider a day of reckoning. Now, some of you maybe are thinking, well, okay, because you're like me, your brain goes forward, starts to worry. What about when I fail? Well, here's the thing. A day of reckoning doesn't have to just be a one-time thing. Day of reckoning should happen as often as necessary. Matter of fact, if it helps, consider when you, the next time you get in the shower or in the bathtub. Two weeks from now. <laughs> have it be a reckoning. Say, Lord, this just reminds me. I'm dead to sin. The old man is dead. It's down the drain. And when, when sin comes and says, I'm still your master. Well, wait, no, no, I'm dead to you. I'm alive to God. Okay? If you start to do that, then just when you, when you bathe, that's a good reminder. Again, it might be a month for you. It might be, anyway. So, I, hopefully, hopefully this is making sense. And again, I, I think, if, in, unless I missed it, which is possible, I suppose... I think the, this was really important to the Lord. He wants you guys, you're His beloved. He wants you to know, like, you don't have to be that way. You don't have to settle in to a treadmill bummer of a Christian life. You can live an abundant Christian life, but it requires faith, reckoning, knowing, reckoning. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy and your goodness. I thank you that... Though this message is challenging, Lord, it's not, to me anyway, it's not discouraging. Because there's no place in here where you say, I have to work hard. All that you require is that I believe you. That I really am dead to faith and then, or dead to sin. And then that I, I act accordingly. You're going to teach us in, in the further verses of chapter 6 that we shouldn't surrender our our. The, the parts of our body to sin, but to you. This is all in line, our, our, us focusing upon you and the work that you're able to do, the power that you have over sin and, and the grave in us. Lord, please forgive us for the times that we've settled in and we've said, I guess this is the way it's going to be until the trumpet blows. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't do that. That there wasn't a sign on the grave that said, Back in a few years, I'm sleeping right now. Pray, Lord, that you would wake up the church, Lord, to this reality that we don't have to live defeated lives. Pray that you'd bless each one, Lord, that you've brought here. I thank you that it's an act of your mercy and your goodness that you have delivered each one into the seats where they are. And I ask, Lord, you continue doing what you're doing in this place. You glorify yourself, Lord. You'd bring some from death into life, and you'd bring some off the treadmill of um, of a bummer life. Lord, we love you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.